Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome to What's the Hazard. I uh, hope you're having a good day. It is April 24th, Friday here in Omaha, Nebraska. Actually not a bad day and uh, looking forward to speaking with you today. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to thank Safety Reports, uh, my sponsor or our sponsor, I should say. Um, I've been given information or at least an opinion about Safety Reports at each episode. I think this is the sixth episode that Safety Reports has sponsored for us and I sincerely appreciate that. I think today I want to talk about um, due diligence and one of the one of the benefits of safety reports and the documentation feature of safety reports, uh, the fact that you are tracking all of your audits, the fact that you are tracking your toolbox talks, the fact that you have the ability to actually um, take signatures or at least uh, electronic signatures from your employees that are going through the toolbox talks. I think due diligence is really important from an OSHA perspective and OSHA as you know, uh, at least in the 1926 standards, in the construction standards, OSHA requires that we are doing regular site audits, and they also require that we are training our employees how to avoid hazards, uh, the 1926-20 and 21 standards. And, man, if you were using safety reports and you were tracking all of these audits and you were tracking your training, uh, I think demonstrating due diligence is going to be very easy uh, electronically uh, if OSHA ever calls that into question. So... Um, take a look at safety reports if you have not done so. It's an auditing app and, and a lot more than that. And um, I think it's incredibly useful and particularly under those circumstances, I think that if you were ever asked about doing these worksite audits or doing this training, it would be nice to be able to pull up that electronic history of that. Um, my first observation for the week, uh, Paul O'Neill passed away. Uh, for those of you who know me, you know I'm a big Paul O'Neill fan. I, I never had the opportunity to meet the man, but uh, the former CEO of Alcoa Corporation and a true advocate for workplace safety. Um, I, I have to say that um, I first heard Mr. O'Neill speak, uh, a recording of one of his presentations probably three years ago, and it truly changed the way I think about safety leadership. Um, it's kind of formulated the way that I view safety, leadership, and management today. And um, uh, I know he was a mentor to thousands and thousands of safety people out there. If you have not av availed yourself of an opportunity to listen to him, go to YouTube, search Paul O'Neill, Alcoa, and uh, check it out. It is really uh, impressive. I, I wish I would have had the opportunity to know the guy. Um, my guest today, Danny Arroyo, she is the owner of WorkSafe Consulting. Uh, she's been on the podcast before. Um, we are colleagues and friends now, and um, she is kind of our go-to ergonomics specialist, ADA specialist, um, injury prevention specialist. I know she's been uh, busy growing this business. It sounds like things are going well. Yeah, they're going great. Awesome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Doug. Um, I, threw some, I threw some ideas together for us to talk about. Um, first... I think uh, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone, uh, it is the end of April. Uh, we've actually had some, I think it was 80 degrees yesterday here in Omaha, and we've had some very nice days. Uh, I think everyone needs to be, it's time to dust off your heat stress programs, get those back out, uh, review those, update those as necessary, and let's get started training our employees, reminding them, you know, what the uh, signs and symptoms of heat-related illness might be, what our protocols are going to be. Uh, how we're going to address that, monitor that, those types of things. So it is going to be hot soon here in Nebraska. So, um, and we all know OSHA 
takes heat stress very seriously. You know, their mantra of uh, water, rest, and shade, they've been promoting that for the last few years. So just a reminder, get those programs out and make sure we're getting those implemented. Make sure that we are um, getting our employees gradually accustomed to working in the heat again and, um, you know, staying hydrated, those types of things. So just a reminder. Um, That reminds me of something else I wanted to talk to you about, Danny. So let me write this down before I forget. Um, as I mentioned, you are kind of our local expert in ergonomics and, uh, injury prevention strategies, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a facility yesterday, actually the first site that I've visited in almost four weeks. I, I have not been in many facilities recently and I'm, I'm avoiding the C word. I don't want to talk about the C word necessarily. (laughs) I think we've all talked a lot about that, but I think as a result, Uh, Many of my clients have postponed some of these audits. And so um, it was actually great to be back in a facility. Um, I I always enjoy it. But um, this company um, has a stretching program. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about stretching. I think, I think, I I personally am a believer, but I know there's a lot more to it than simply just pulling off a, a sheet off of the web and then having your employees go through some, you know, gymnastics before they start work every day. So I was wondering what you think about stretching programs and if you could just talk about how how you might implement an effective one. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think stretching programs are great. Um, I, it's not uncommon that I see that where it's literally just a print off from the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of companies think that that's better than nothing. Um, so the way that I approach stretching programs is, uh, I build them specifically to the jobs that the employees are doing. Okay. Um, So whatever muscles they're using a lot, we want to counterbalance the stress that those muscles are using. So if we're using our upper body flexors a lot, then we want to stretch the flexors out. Um, So I, mine are very targeted to what the people are actually doing um, in the job. That makes sense. You also want to think about something that I see a lot is, uh, the actual safety aspect of stretching isn't really thought about when sort of generic stretching programs are put into place. So when I'm making an industrial stretching program for a facility, I try to not do too much where people could possibly lose their balance. Okay, sure. Uh, So one stretch that everyone is going to know is uh, the quad stretch where Mm -hmm. you grab your foot behind your back. Oh, yeah. I almost never do that unless right. unless I know for sure that people are going to have something steady to hand, hold on to. Okay, sure. For a couple of reasons. Obviously, that's an issue if people are falling over. Uh, but also, if you can't have your balance, and most people can't balance on one foot, they right. just can't, right. uh, you're not actually doing the stretch correctly, and so you're not benefiting from it. Okay, so, so if, you're ha- if you have to support yourself... Then the stretch isn't quite as um, useful as it would be if you were able to balance on one foot. No, no, no. You can support yourself, uh, but okay. you need to be able to support yourself. Okay. So I gotcha. usually, when you see people doing that quad stretch, uh, and you've probably seen it in the gym a lot, oh, yeah. um, people will be having their other hand out to balance, and they're just kind of wobbling around. Right. And the leg that they think that they're stretching is sort of chicken winged out to the side and they're just trying right. to not fall. Well, they're really not stretching their quads. Right. Um, and so you, would, do you refer to this as static stretching? Yep. I mean, so is this- that is static stretching when you just get into a stretch and you hold it for whatever right. period of time you decide to okay. hold it for. Um, so that's what most facilities do for their stretching programs. And that's great. Okay. Um, kind of a series of static stretches. Yeah. I think, uh, last time I was here, we mentioned a little bit uh, 
dynamic stretching mm -hmm. and warm-ups essentially. Right. Uh, warm, that's less right. confusing for people to call mm -hmm. them warm-ups. Uh, therapists call them dynamic stretches. Uh -huh. But um, so best practice really is to do something dynamic before you do static stretches okay. so that you're actually warmed up a little bit. And that would might um, be like even walking or something. Uh, or you can do walking. walking in place you can do squats. Okay. Uh, I've had the opportunity recently to work with a company who was uh, very interested in building a robust injury prevention program. Mm -hmm. So I was allowed to build a pre work uh, program that was up to ten minutes long for them, which is oh, really nice. unusual. Yeah, that's a pretty lengthy stretching period, yeah, is it not? For it is. Okay. Um, it's. Very unusual in my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did about half uh, dynamic warm-ups and then static stretches. Okay. Uh, so they would do the full thing uh, at the beginning of the shift and then after their lunch break. And then coming back from their 15-minute breaks, they would just do the static stretches. Nice. Um, and then the static wow. stretches, because they're made specifically for that job. So this particular job was more upper body. It wasn't really a lot of lifting. Um, I trained the employees on making sure that if they have some downtime, that they're doing some of those stretches, even on the production mm -hmm. floor, if it's mm -hmm. not technically stretch time, to counterbalance the stress that their muscles are having while they're working. And so are these employees, are they uh, performing some repetitive type work? Are they standing in a, at a workstation typically? I mean, yeah, it, they are. Okay. I would say the vast majority of, of the clients that I work with, it's a lot of repetition on, and on, industrial on an assembly setting. line or a yeah. production line of some sort. Mm -hmm. So what? So basically what you've just, if my math is correct, and I, I did drop out of engineering school, so <laughs> math is not my strength. But um, so that you've talked about about 30 minutes a day they've committed to stretching. If they're doing a 10-minute pre-shift, if they're doing 10 minutes approximately following lunch, and then a couple times after breaks or something, they're doing a limited amount of static stretching. That's... 30 minutes a day, that's a pretty big commitment on the part of the employer. It is. And I think it, it but shows it pays a, off. Yeah. I think it shows a lot of support from the employer to, to be willing to do that. I'm impressed. So um, do you are we able to quantify the impact of stretching? I mean, you I mean, we're kind of making the assumption that the stretching is contributing to a, a decrease in um, musculoskeletal injuries, perhaps, or strains or something like that. What what really is the What's, what's the intent behind stretching? What are we hoping to accomplish when you stretch? Uh, the intent is to get the body prepared to work. Okay. Uh, so generally speaking, most, most people aren't athletes. Mm -hmm. um, so we're all just kind of normal people. We have a basic level of physical fitness. We may or may not work out. Mm -hmm. um, so when you, if you don't you know, have a decent level of physical fitness, which most people don't, mm -hmm. um, and then you go to do this really intense physical labor job that all of these people right. are doing, yeah. uh, that's a lot for your body. Right. So the whole theory behind it is that you are getting your body warmed up. Um, with the static stretches, you're actually not getting your body warmed up, which I think there's some confusion yeah. there. Okay. Um, you are literally the focus should be to counterbalance the actions of the muscles that are doing all that work. So again, uh, I'm flexing my wrists and my hands. This is something okay. that you would see a lot in repetitive work right. uh, that's not lifting. Uh, so these are called flexors sure. in the in the inside of our arms and hands. So your hands so are we want curling to, up almost. Yep, we want to counterbalance that so oh, that we're not overstretching or overusing those okay. muscles. So that's why I say to try to fit it in throughout the workday. If production slows down or there's a pause in production, then we want to do the opposite. So our hands are curled in. We want to open them wide. We want to pull them back. I got you. Interesting. Yeah, so those aren't warm-ups. That's literally just right. counterbalancing right. The, the overuse of the muscles that are getting used a lot. Which is why, why it's so critical to design these specifically for the work tasks. 
rather than just pull some crap off the internet and just have people jumping around in this arbitrary stretching fashion or something. I mean, it, it really does need to be specific to those work activities if that counterbalancing is going to be effective. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I will say that, you know, if, if the employer's starting to try to build these injury prevention programs and that's their first step and trying to develop that and just getting some stretches, that can go a ways just in employee morale, mm-hmm. thinking that the employer is trying to help with something. Um, so it's a it's a first step mm-hmm. at least, yeah. um, but it's would not be considered best practice. Do you find the employees typically enjoy the stretching period? I mean, do they? I mean, do employers typically utilize the stretching period for like a, a pre shift information discussion, or they're just, they're talking while they're doing this? I'm assuming they're accomplishing something else typically while they're stretching. Yeah. Is so that usually the case overall, the employees, in my experience, tend to really enjoy the stretch programs. Yeah. I would say the negative feedback that I do get from it is that. It's not taken seriously or oh, yeah. uh, supervisors, managers aren't actually willing to let them have the time to do it mm-hmm. um, or those sort of meetings that they try to conduct during stretches are you need to be so focused that you can't actually focus on, on right. the stretching. Right, um, right. So I would say the majority of the negativity that I have heard is just that uh, the program isn't actually taken seriously and right. a lot of employees do actually want to take it seriously mm-hmm. because Many people do see that it's their health. I was um, going to say they probably do realize yeah. some benefit from it, and they start to notice that. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that's unfortunate. I think you're right, though. Uh, supervisors often, I mean, as we've discussed many times, they have so much that they're responsible for that unless they really buy into it, they probably think of it as just a hindrance to getting the work done, and they just want to get through it quickly. I mean, they really have to as you said, take it seriously in order to get the benefit from it that they they are hoping to. Yeah, absolutely. And that really actually starts at the top, even though, you know, the top level managers aren't usually on the floor doing mm-hmm. it with them, but mm-hmm. really their attitude is what sets the tone for it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the top managers out there doing the stretches with the employees? I mean, I have before. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I wouldn't say like consistently, but mm-hmm. and I always encourage I I really think the more buy-in that you have from the top and Mm -hmm. the more that they actually do believe in these safety and injury prevention programs, the the more successful they're going to be. So I always encourage, Mm -hmm. and I'm not self-conscious, so Mm -hmm. I will walk up to whoever is at the top of the company and introduce myself and invite him or her to come. Uh, Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really think that they should know what's going on and they should be supportive. Right. I think that would be really Um, well-received. On the part of the employees too, if the big boss, whomever, at least makes an appearance once in a while mm-hmm. and participates in those things, on occasion it doesn't have to be every day certainly, but I think that would have a tremendous benefit. It does. You know, to see them out there. Certainly, I know from my perspective as a safety guy, um, when upper management, when the executives are out on the floor, they're out on the job site, they're out. Um, you know, obviously, they need to be wearing PPE. They need to be following the rules and, and uh, policies. Um, it, it can be really detrimental if they don't. You know, if employees oh, yeah. see that the rules don't necessarily apply to everyone, that can be really detrimental. And so um, I like it when the executives are out there doing those kind of things and leading by example. I mean, it, it seems so simple, but it is. It appears to be lost on a certain group of managers, you know. It it really does, and uh, oh, 
that just really frustrates me <laughs> when I, when I'm rolling out a new program and I can't even yeah. get like a single manager to show up. Right, it, right. it just yeah, that's really, <laughs> really, that's really irritates me. Yeah, and I think it irritates everybody. <laughs> it irritates. I mean, and if it's not important to them, it's certainly not going to be important to those frontline supervisors who yeah. are responsible for doing this stuff. Yep. Man, I mean, it is. Uh, it's amazing how powerful even those subtle messages can be. Well, and those frontline supervisors also are continuously getting that feedback that this isn't important and whatever mm-hmm. that meeting that we were just discussing mm-hmm. is, that needs to come first. Right, and, right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What, um, if you were putting together a stretching program for someone, you would obviously then need to get into the facility to, to observe some of the work activities to get some idea what these the counterbalancing movements would be or what would be necessary or can you do that based on job descriptions or just even um, discussion or how do, would you do that? Yeah, I prefer to be in the facility. I haven't had anyone insist that I just make something out of thin air. Yeah. I, I would be honest with them and tell them that it's yeah, probably not, not going really to be very good. good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't ever go off of job descriptions because they don't, really actually include the musculoskeletal stresses. Okay. So I, when you say job description, I think of like an HR job yeah, description. Right, sure. And yeah. uh, frequently, once I do actual ergonomic analysis, HR will take my analysis and put it into their job mm-hmm. <laughs> description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. um, So, Absolutely. and HR people, you know, don't do this sort of analysis. So I can't base a stretch program off of an HR job analysis. <laughs> right. um, no doubt, that's true. Yeah, so... I've never been asked to n- not be in a plant and do okay. it. Uh, I just, I'm not sure that I would be willing to do that, yeah, honestly, because I, I don't know how good yeah. it could be yeah. or that I would really want. Right. I just, I think it Understood. would be just sort of taking a shot in the dark. Yeah. So. Well, it's kind of like, you know, um, I have that same uh, issue of people ask me for programs or they ask me for other uh, written documentation, safety things. And um, I like to see the plant. You know, I want to get in the plant, see what's going on. It doesn't have to be quite as detailed as a as a compliance audit might be, but at least you want a tour just to get a general sense of how things work and what's going on in the facility before you start making decisions or even recommendations for that facility. So that's that's almost a it's it's a must, you know, mm-hmm. even just to begin the thought process of most of those things. Yeah, I don't think you can really understand a job if you don't physically see it or even way. have you ever gone on the line actually performed some of these work tasks just oh, I to get a do. sense for, do you yeah <laughs> do you? Yeah. i like that yeah i uh when i'm doing job analyses so long as it's something that i can do so mm-hmm. i haven't met probably most of the people who are watching this but i'm not a large person so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know a lot of maintenance jobs you'll have to lift up to like 80 or 90 pounds i'm not going to do right. that right um Anything that you have to be like licensed or certified for, I generally won't do, but I'll inspect the equipment and do as much as I can without right. being licensed or certified. Right. Um, but most of what I deal with is like production line stuff, mm-hmm. and I always do it. Mm-hmm. Always. Get At on least. the line and actually yep. uh, like put a widget together or mm-hmm. whatever that might be. Yep. Always. Uh, very good. And you actually do learn about the job from, from doing it. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I have attempted to do that. As a consultant, certainly as an OSHA person, we weren't really allowed to get that involved in the activities and mm-hmm. probably wasn't appropriate. But I have done that on occasion now just to get a sense for what the jobs are like and what those mm-hmm. stressors feel like. And, you know, um, it, it's uh, remarkable the how much the employees appreciate that. You know, if you were going to be 
making comments or, or changes to their work activities um, without really experiencing what they do, that's obviously it's going to be difficult for them to buy into those, mm-hmm. those recommendations. But, and I know other safety professionals that do the same thing. They get out on the line. They perform the activities as best they can before they start making any type of recommendations. And I think, mm-hmm. that, I think that goes a long way with selling the employees. You know? I would agree. And I also, I just, I think it would be difficult to make uh, good recommendations without really understanding mm-hmm. the job. And, you know, sometimes something looks like it's moving at a decent clip and then you do it and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is fast. That is so much yeah. faster than it looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, so. I would agree with that. Well, let me, so I just wrote, this is the one I wrote down while we were talking earlier and we had not talked about it. So I don't mean to, you know, take you off guard or anything, yeah. but um, we use the term work hardening a lot. You know, I, when I, when I was with OSHA, uh, we used to talk about this quite a bit and particularly in food processing or highly repetitive activities, but we would talk about, do you have a work hardening program? Or we would ask employers this, or even return to work. Maybe you've had an extended absence or a vacation or something. Uh, it's almost like the heat stress thing. You know, you kind of gradually build up. Can you, can you describe a little bit what work hardening actually is, or if yeah. it's even uh, so a what, term? Yeah. What you described is actually a little different than like in the therapy world, what work hardening mm-hmm, is considered. Mm-hmm. So in the therapy world, work hardening is like a formal therapy program. Okay. Um, that's several hours a day where usually someone's returning from a work related injury and you are building up their strength and endurance to return I gotcha. to work. Okay. So kind of the same idea from what you were saying, it sounds like OSHA considers it to be um, like initial new hire uh, work. Okay. Hardening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. But it sounds like it's a very similar idea. Okay. Um, I, I've never called it work hardening, but that's a good way to refer to it. Um, but you when, are, I, when you're talking about post-injury or return from injury, you are talking about a formal protocol mm-hmm. for Returning regaining that uh, mm-hmm. strength or that ability to perform that function. Yes. Uh, but what you mentioned as far as kind of new hires, uh, when I have the ability to talk to new hires at a facility, uh, that's one thing that I always talk to them about is even if you're coming from another manual labor job, you should expect to have aches and pains and right. struggle to keep up with this new job because you're using your body differently. It's not likely that you're using that you're doing the exact same thing that you were doing in your old job. That's expected. You're going to have aches and pains. It's normal. If I have an on-site clinic, which I know that you want to talk about, I always mm-hmm. encourage them to come in and see me. If if but that is normal. There should be some expectation that as you're, I mean as you are learning this new activity, this new physical activity, that there are going to be aches and pains. I think that there are certain people that don't expect that. Mm-hmm. And um, now all of a sudden they think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a line probably between the the expected aches and pains and injury or something. And mm-hmm. that can be a difficult line to discern maybe. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, uh, there are quite a few people who are kind of shocked at it. Uh, When I have the opportunity to talk to new hires and I talk to them about that before they've even, you know, they're going through orientation and they haven't even been on the production floor yet. uh, I think that does actually calm a lot of people's fears to know Mm. that that is normal. If you tend to have, you know, a lot of people coming into your production facility who don't have manual labor backgrounds, which isn't unusual, you might be getting people from customer service or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is. I think they tend to be really shocked because they've never done manual right. labor. And dreaded right out of school hire that has never <laughs> actually done anything physical. Yeah, could be. Um, but yeah, I it's normal. 
you should allow at least up to one month for those aches and pains to subside. Okay. Um, Do you treat them? I mean, is it reasonable to treat them with like like an an NSAID or uh, ibuprofen or like hot cold or anything? Or do you just basically, unless they are extreme, then you you just basically tolerate them or is, is that on an individual basis or what do you? Um, I mean, all of those are good options. So I encourage people to do the stretches. Hopefully they do have mm-hmm. a stretch program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ice is good if they get relief from ice. Uh, if they're able to take ibuprofen, that's definitely something that they can do. Just whatever over the counter um, they're comfortable okay. taking. Uh, yeah, just anything to get them through that initial period that's okay. reasonable. Um and then oftentimes, like when I do see people in the early intervention clinic and they're new, they really just, they usually want to know like what specific stretches to do. So I'll go over that with them. I'll reassure them some more that this is normal. I can mm-hmm. teach them how to ice properly. Um, mm-hmm. I never. There rep- is a, a proper way to ice? There can be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There actually can okay. be. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't really understand how to ice. They'll put ice on, they'll leave it on for a couple minutes and like, okay, it's cold. I'm done. Right. Um, if you don't actually get to the numbness, mm-hmm. which most people don't because it's very uncomfortable, right. uh, you're really not getting the anti-inflammatory benefits of the ice. Okay. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. I used to stick so, my feet in buckets of ice when I was in high school and that was many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, in, in sporting activities, if you would sprain an ankle or something, mm-hmm. They would run you down to the locker room and jam your foot into a bucket full of ice. Uh, now, again, this is in the 70s, so I'm not sure that the AMA was even established at that point. But, you know, our trainer would, uh, yeah, you would, you know, you might be allowed to keep your toes out, but you would th- you would jam that foot into a big bucket full of ice and you would scream for about 10 minutes until it went numb. And then, you know, they would tape it up and you'd go back into the game or something, you know. But mm-hmm. um, Ice baths. Yeah. People still do that. Oh, brutal. Yeah. So were you a Wim Hof person? You know, Wim Hof, the ice man, that guy that... No. He is, he's the guy that submerges himself in ice, and he does that, that... He has a breathing technique that he promotes that he believes somehow um, dealkalinates your blood or something. He does this... Wim Hof, okay, maybe I'm off <laughs> on a tangent. I have no idea what you're talking about. So check about. it out sometime. Wim Hof, he's this... <laughs> He's a freak, but they call him the ice man. He like gets into ice baths and lay and just, you know, submerges himself in an ice bath for 12 days or something while he's doing this weird breathing thing or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm off on a tangent here or something. Yeah, I think so. But going back thing. to ice. Okay. Uh, so Yeah, I'm interested in ice. Uh, I, I have read things that suggest that ice is not good because it inhibits the, the normal um, healing process or... So I'm conflicted about ice. What do, what do you think about it? Uh, so I have also read that. That's mm-hmm. sort of newer stuff coming out. Yeah, it was kind of um, interesting. As for right now, uh, everything that I have read, though, still goes with ice as mm-hmm. the first uh, first. It, it seems to give a relief. To to. Absolutely. It does for a few reasons. It actually numbs the area mm-hmm. if you leave it on long enough. And it does help with uh, inflammation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what people need to do is actually leave it on long enough to okay. get Numb. Uh, So it starts with being really cold and uncomfortable, and then it usually goes to a burning sensation, and then you get numbness. Okay. Uh, So that's the normal process. Yep. Most people don't make it past that cold, or once they get to burning, they're like, oh my God, I'm getting an ice burn. Right. Because that that really freaks people out, because it literally feels like it's burning. Uh, So then they take it off, and they never really get to that numb stage. 
Um, okay. So depending on how you're icing, if you're just using an ice pack, uh, it can take quite a while to get to that stage. Mm-hmm. It depends on what body area you're using. Um, if you're using ice massage, it gets to mm-hmm. that much faster, anywhere mm-hmm. from like one to three minutes. Okay, so ice massage, that's interesting. What yeah. is that exactly? So ice massage is, I use Dixie cups. I fill a Dixie cup. Oh, so okay. any sort, like you just want a big hunk of ice um, and you... Rub it directly on the area so you've of got discomfort. A, you've got a big block of ice in a Dixie cup that now you can use yep. as a... Um, and then you just rub it on the area of discomfort. Okay. And this really works for smaller areas. So like mm-hmm. if you if your entire low back hurts, you, you would want to use an ice pack. Um, I use this a lot for like the arms, the elbows, wrists. Okay. Um, and you rub it on the area until it goes numb. Um, and that's it. And it goes numb a lot faster because you're using ice directly on it right. rather than an ice pack with like a sheet over it. But you are um, like rubbing it, moving it. Yep, it's you're not moving stationary. It. You're moving it. Right. It's okay. actually it's ice of, massage. It actually is massage. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. Okay. And then also you can always use um, ice followed with heat. And the theory behind that is it resets your pain receptors and oh, people okay. actually get a, a lot of people get a lot of pain relief by alternating ice and heat. Ice and heat. And so what, what's the rule on... Post injury, that that time period. When is ice appropriate? Uh, generally, forty eight to seventy two hours. Okay, and then you can switch to whatever you get the most relief okay. from. But hopefully, you have relief fully at that point. Okay, so, cool. Okay, yeah. So I do want to go back to one thing. I apologize. I, I'm uh, notoriously not good at staying on track. Obviously, <laughs> um, but the stretching. So we we talked a lot about stretching the folks that are actually out on the line in the plant. Is, is there value in the folks that sit at a desk. I mean, um, I typically prefer not to sit at my desk, but over the last few weeks, I have been in my office significantly more than usual. And I sit at my desk at my computer and man, my hip flexors are trashed. Yeah, My back is trashed. I mean, do you, um, are you a proponent of even stretching for the admin staff? Oh, definitely. Especially for the admin staff, mm-hmm. people who are sitting all the time. And, um, I think last time you had you had mentioned that office ergonomics is much easier than industrial ergonomics, and it is. It's much more straightforward. It's it essentially a formula that you just. I'm not suggesting it's easy, but at least I can. You can refer to a drawing at yeah. least. Yeah. No, you you follow it, and you either follow it or you don't follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for people who don't have you know physical disabilities and right. things oh, like yeah, that. Right. But um, so that's much more straightforward. Um, and I always tell people this, and a lot of people don't believe me because I do actually do all of the manual labor jobs that I analyze. Mm-hmm. And uh, granted, I'm not doing it eight hours a day, five to six days a week, right. but I always do it. And I'm very active. And the most, the worst pain that I get is when I'm sitting at a desk for several hours a day right. and I can't, and it's if it's not like my home desk, if it's another desk where I can't be ergonomically correct, mm-hmm. uh, I have just excruciating pain and it mm-hmm. takes days to go away, yeah. even with stretching. Right. Um, and a lot of people don't believe that. But sitting at a desk all day, every day is a lot of stress oh, on your it's body. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. So I am a big proponent of stretching. I'm a big proponent of for people sitting at desks. I'm a big proponent of getting up and moving a lot. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, there's the sit-stand desks that are really trendy right now, which I do have because I do prefer to stand as well. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to have a sit-stand desk. The big issue or the big thing that you're trying to accomplish with those sit-stand desks is 
moving positions frequently and not just sitting in a static position for a long period of time. So the theory behind the sit stand desk is you can sit for 20 minutes, you can stand for 20 minutes, you sit, but you can do the same thing. If you don't want to buy a sit stand desk, you can work for 20 to 30 minutes, get up, go get some coffee or water or just walk around your house since everyone's working from home right now. Right, Absolutely. Um, But the big thing is going and throwing in a load of laundry is not a horrible idea. Actually, if you're working from home, no, it's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have been doing a lot of desk work lately too, and uh, I try to get out at least a few times and just like walk around my block. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, absolutely. What about, okay, this is off. So are you ever asked to, to, to design uh, stretching programs for the office folks, or is it primarily for the, the folks out in the shop? Is it? Uh, so what will usually happen is uh, facilities will just encourage their office folks to do the same stretches okay. that the people... Um, like on the shopper production floor do. Mm-hmm. I'm actually coming up with uh, like a specific office program right now. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, because those stretches actually don't need to be targeted to individuals because if you're sitting at a desk, you're sitting at a desk. Right. So um, they so very I'm, similar. Yeah. yeah. I'm coming up with a program right now where it's going to be stretches. I think I'm going to do a few videos oh, too. Nice. Very good. Um, on training how to be healthy at your desk. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, they're pretty straightforward. Office ergonomics, although it can you can actually get a lot of injuries um, from mm-hmm. sitting at a desk, which mm-hmm. surprises a lot of people. Uh, it is actually it's a lot more straightforward than yeah, okay. industrial ergonomics. I think that's a great idea. I, I would, uh, man, if you do put those videos together, I'd love to put them on my website and maybe, you know, if you however you're basically making them available or something, uh, we could work you know run through there so they could people could access those. I think those would be incredibly popular. Yeah, we'll talk that, about that. yeah, we'll talk about we'll that. I, uh, spot, I, I'm super eager to do that. My, uh, the gal who had been helping me as my admin just mm-hmm. recently, um, closed up her shop. Oh, she has some bad. family issues. So mm-hmm. I am not a tech person, so I need to figure <laughs> out how to do that without her. She was kind of my oh, go-to yeah. person. Um, yeah, so, I, I totally get it. But as far as like the stretch handouts and stuff, I mm-hmm. hopefully I'll have those done pretty soon. Oh no, well, I think that would, re- would be really helpful for you to put together videos doing the demonstration even some of demonstrating some of the stretches you know you can go to a company and design a stretching program for them and then probably actually introduce them to those stretches and then and then you know probably over time they tend to maybe not do them correctly or something you know so in the work in the uh, actual um, exercise world in the training world or whatever the working out world most of those guys uh, and gals will post just very short clips on how to perform a particular activity or exercise that they put into their workout. And uh, you can read their workout and you don't necessarily understand all the terminology or the, or the references to the different exercises. But then you can go to a little video clip and watch them demonstrate it. Man, you could do that. You could, you know, for all of your different stretching activities, if they have a name, you could put those videos together and post them so that people could then go back and see how they're supposed to be done versus mm-hmm. how they are. Yeah, I think you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I have a lot of work to do. That's uh, be busy. I think uh, I think videos are really helpful because mm-hmm. you can also give verbal cues to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people have different abilities as far as um, their body awareness and um, their coordination and having those uh, verbal cues while they're also physically watching you do it really helps. And I see that in person a lot. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that with the videos, it will be kind of similar. I just don't physically have to be there with a person. Right. I think that would be fantastic. Um, 
You mentioned, okay, so I'm going off on another tangent here, but the body awareness thing I think is interesting because we we have been, we as safety persons, perhaps as uh, occupational therapists or therapists and ergonomists, we have been talking about proper lifting technique for years. You know, lift with your legs, don't lift with your back, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody attempts to do that, mm-hmm. but... I think very few people actually have are anatomically capable of lifting the way that we design it in the in the diagrams at times. Have you ever videotaped people lifting to show them what they actually look like lifting? And as you said, giving them cues and things because they see a picture of lifting correctly. They go tr- attempt to do it and they may have they might not be not even be close. I mean, is there have you ever done anything like that? Uh, so I've never videoed people to show I, them what they're I will um, work with them individually. And I do often do this like when I have on site clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to not call people out like in groups, mm-hmm. I mean, um, maybe but, embarrass them or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, but you are absolutely right. Almost no one does the proper lifting, even when they think they are doing the proper mm-hmm. lifting. And I don't think that that's a fault of the people. No, I think it's not. a fault of we just have this rhetoric of lift with your legs and not your back. And right. that doesn't, does that, that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. It literally doesn't mean anything. Um, so I actually just did a whole training on this somewhere. Nice. So uh, there's a squat and in a squat, you have your full foot on the ground okay. to come up from a squat. So a squat should be working the posterior chain. So your butt right hamstrings. On. So to come up from a squat, and this is how I teach people to come up from it because many people don't know how to do a proper squat is you want to push your heels into the ground and that's mm-hmm. going to activate your posterior mm-hmm. chain. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I work with people on doing squats, that's the first time they've ever felt mm-hmm. that they've ever felt it in their butt essentially. Right. right. Um, you got to fire the glutes, man. Yeah. And so, but most people um, have a tendency to, to pivot onto the balls of yep, their feet or so their they, toes even. So they come up to the front of the foot, which is actually a knee bend, mm-hmm. which is really bad, and mm-hmm. it will blow your knees out. Right. Um, it's just bad all around. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll demonstrate it, and I probably shouldn't even do it because I'm getting older every day, and oh, I'm, probably gonna, I'm probably going to hurt my knees. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Um, but I do it to demonstrate the difference, and almost everyone does the knee bend, and they don't do the squat. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering you know, why they can't do it correctly, why it's causing them pain, and so I try to break it down for them so that they understand. Nice. Um, and you know, oftentimes when people are doing a proper squat, and I try to talk them through that this is normal, and there's nothing wrong with them, they can't actually get down that far. That's right. totally normal because they don't have that flexibility because they haven't been doing it. Right. And exactly. so I oftentimes, if I can get people to do dynamic things, I have them do active dynamic squats, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. slow and controlled. On their heels. Always slow and controlled. Um, and over time, that's going to build more more that's uh, fantastic. movement right. that they need so right. that they can start to get further down. Uh, but really with a lot of people, I think, over the years, you know, they've just been getting told lift with your legs and not your back. And they're just really frustrated because it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And they may have experienced injuries from it. So I am a big proponent of actually training people to what they need to do and oh, not just you. saying stuff to them I because it doesn't help. Yeah, that's really good. And I think you're right. I think, um, for one thing, most people don't know how to squat correctly, no. even though we tell them lift with your legs, not your back. And, and again, that, that doesn't really register if you've mm-hmm. never experienced that before, if you've never felt what that is like before, mm-hmm. and you touched on a few things, um, and I've got all sorts of stuff now going in, in, in my head, <laughs> which is always a problem for me because there's always a lot of stuff going on in my head, but the posterior chain issues, 
um, you know, having come out of the like this uh, this particular lifting program many many years ago, where I learned how to lift, um, we talked a lot about posterior chain and and mm-hmm. and how the vast majority of people spend very little time strengthening that posterior chain. It doesn't get used a lot. No. I mean, the people that are sitting at desks all the time—it's yeah, dead. It's not. It's, got, it's, it's literally gone. not I mean, active. Firing yeah. your glutes. People mm-hmm. don't even know how to do that typically. I mean, yeah. so much of what you've just described is absent in the workforce. Mm-hmm. It's man, they are not well prepared to do many of the tasks that we're asking of them. I think the idea to teach them how to squat and actually have them maybe do that as part of their dynamic stretching to maybe to gain some range of motion or some strength or something that is really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you can make time for dynamic and sometimes companies won't, but people can come and see me and ask and I mm-hmm. can give them some of mm-hmm. these dynamic stretches awesome. slash warmups. Um, and what I try to drive home to people is that you might not have movement now, but if you're consistent, just like everything else, you know, working out mm-hmm. or diet or whatever, if mm-hmm. you're consistent, do it at five minutes a day, every day. It's not that much time. You will gain more range of motion. You yeah, will. That's fantastic. You're just not going to see it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a certain uh, uh, patience that's yeah. required to do that, but that's fantastic. I'm, I'm actually very impressed. I mean, I knew that you were smart and no disrespect <laughs> intended, um, but you are speaking a language that that I am familiar with that that uh, is not common, and I'm really impressed by that. So good for you. Those are yeah, that is great stuff. And I think that it would be well worth the investment to have you come out and train people how to do those things. And again, I'm not here to you know pitch your business. You you take care of that yourself. That's not a problem. But those things are so critical. They really um, are. And, and they're ignored in large part. Fixing the problem, not yeah. putting a Band-Aid on it. Right. Very good. So I'm going to share so. <laughs> I'm gonna share my experience with, um, and then we're going to get on to, I would like to talk about uh, on-site clinics a little bit, and you touched okay. on that just briefly. But so it's been many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I used to golf, okay? Uh, not well, but you like every You don't seem other, like a golfer. I am not a, well, I'm not a golfer, actually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Uh, but... So I, I have a buddy who is a golf instructor, okay, here in Omaha, actually a very well-known, uh, you know, highly regarded instructor. His name is James Seekman. He's over at, Ch- I mean, he's like big time pro, but 15 years ago when he was not quite the big shot that he is now, he gave me a golf lesson and um, he, he videotaped my swing, okay, and uh you know, every guy that golfs, or probably every woman that golfs as well, um, in my mind, I am I am swinging like Tiger Woods, right? Uh, and then to see a videotape of it, uh, I was so horrified. He actually put my swing up against, kind of side by side with Tiger Woods, to show me, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like, and this is what you look like. I was so horrified that I stopped golfing. I haven't golfed since. <laughs> Uh, so the lesson was fantastic. It was well worth the hundred bucks or whatever it was, you know, um, because it saved me thousands of dollars and frustration. So I just quit golfing altogether. It was so bad. But I think, I think you're right. That whole body image, that self awareness thing. Mm-hmm. I think most people do think when they are picking something up, they're doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and and that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. So. Um, yeah, I don't want to dwell on that too much, I guess, but on-site clinics, mm-hmm. this is something, this is a service that you offer and have provided. And I have, um, 
I have worked with companies in the past that have utilized on-site clinics, or they at least they have had um, practitioners, uh, clinicians, physical therapists, perhaps, or someone come on site periodically to have a even just a, a just a temporary clinic. You know, it might mm-hmm. be on there two days a week or something for a few hours or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be benefit in that, uh, at least from anecdotally from what I hear from these companies. Um, what, what's your? I mean, obviously you do this, and so you think that it is valuable. What what is the value of an on site clinic? What are you doing that? Uh, so the on site clinic is the way that I do them. I do not deal with um, work comp. So once something is already recordable, I won't give them therapy in that okay. clinic. Um, okay. That's my opinion. I I I don't think that I should be doing the one who's doing prevention and also work comp therapy. Gotcha. So right. uh, everything that I do is prevention, mm-hmm. and it falls within. Um, early intervention, first aid for OSHA. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. perfectly um, acceptable. Yep. Lots of stretching, um, teaching people how to ice and heat correctly, mm-hmm. uh, working with them on ergonomics and how to do their jobs correctly as far as, you know, lifting and right. things like that. Um, I focus on a lot of, uh, I think I've come up with this cause no one else has seemed to, uh, hear about it, but what I call neutral postures and keeping mm-hmm. people in neutral postures as much as possible, which kind of falls in line with, with ergonomics. Um, and then just a lot, a lot, a lot of education. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. this is education, obviously work related and home, all of those kind of things. I mean, all of those techniques and tools that you're providing them are just as applicable at home as they are in the work environment from an overall health standpoint, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. And especially, you know, with things like lifting, you want to implement that at home as well. Um, when I do the on-site clinics, I strongly encourage employers to allow uh, their employees to use them for uh, non-work-related issues as well mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't become a work-related issue. And usually if an employer is putting in the investment to have an on-site clinic because it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I only do like regular weekly clinics. I I don't do the thing where you just come on occasion. Gotcha. Um, right. I know a lot of people do do that. That's not, I don't do that though. Yeah. Um, so it is quite an investment. And so those employers who are making that investment generally are actually wanting to support their employees. Mm-hmm. So I've never had an employer say you can't see people for non-work related sure. issues. Right. Um, so it's just a lot of education on that. And uh, strangely enough, I do a lot of education on um, sleeping postures too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have issues with and wake up with just like horrible pain oh from God, how they talk sleep. To me. What, what, you got pictures or something? I, yeah, I can barely get out of bed in the morning. Really? Um, and, and that probably is just an accumulation of 60 years of ridiculous living. But yeah, it's incredibly, I mean, maybe that's a whole nother episode. I, I, but I would love to explore that in a little bit more detail. But that, so, um, yeah, so without going off on that one necessarily though. So yeah, home life work life, all of those things, mm-hmm. uh, if they are coming to you. So what, what would be us, what would you recommend as a schedule? I mean, how many times are you, are you on site every day typically or multiple times a week or what would you um, recommend for? So it would, rec- it would depend on the company for most places. Once a week is fine. Is um, okay. And I do four hour clinics. Uh, you obviously want to try to make sure to hit every shift so that no one feels excluded. Right. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think it's once a week is good. Okay. Um, as far as like how many times I would see a person, it would depend. And uh, 
I oftentimes just see people once and that's it because I, I really do try to keep it in first aid mm-hmm. and yeah. I don't try to do like therapy, but call right. it something else so that right. I don't right. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will oftentimes have people come back just to check in and like literally they'll poke their head in the clinic and be like, I'm great. Thanks. Feeling and better. that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, I never said, I, I never set a plan of care. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, that maybe crosses the to line me, that, that is, to, to me, that's 100% therapy because in, in the traditional therapy world, I'm a therapist, I write a plan of care and then generally an assistant would implement most mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so that's 100% skilled therapy, right. uh, medically right. necessary we've gone therapy. beyond this uh, preventive yeah. First aid. Um, so I never of. set a plan of care. I always try to get as much as I can in one session. Uh, that's not always possible um, because sometimes people are having issues where they need help at work and at home. Um, and then there's a little bit more leniency when people have a home issue. So, for instance, at one of the places I work at, I'm seeing a new mother. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, she gave birth, I want to say maybe four months ago mm-hmm. or something. And she's having a lot of issues with that. Just she always has her baby. So she mm-hmm. she's always carrying her baby. So she has just a lot of pain in the upper body from mm-hmm. it. And then she's doing the manual job. And so uh, I'm yeah. yeah, it's just I love what I do. It's awesome. Absolutely. So yeah, I cool. I get to work and with her. And you're providing true real value, the real benefit to these people. Which yeah. Is, so I get to work with her on like postures on how to hold her baby mm-hmm. or uh, and we've talked about sleep and mm-hmm. um, what she can do at work to try to take some stress off of That's her uh, shoulders and neck where she's having the issues. It's just awesome. That is yeah, awesome. I Good love for it. you. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, that brings me, and we're, we're running out of time, but that kind of brings me to my last question. Um, and you're a consultant, and you've mm-hmm. been in business now for a few years. I'm a consultant. Uh, I've been in business for a few more years, but, you know, not a long period of time, you know. And um, I just wanted to ask you if, you know, if, if a colleague or a friend or someone came to you and said, uh, I'm interested in being a consultant, you know, that looks cool. I think what you do is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do that. Uh, what, what advice would you give them or what would you offer them if somebody came to you and asked you that? Um, a couple of things. First of so, all, you, obviously you love it. So I do. Um, I, I don't, you and I, I think we have somewhat different personalities, but I have been told by a mutual <laughs> client that we are actually very similar. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear that, that for you. <laughs> that we're very, um, what did he say? We, we follow, we insist that there are processes and they have to be followed. And I know that's 100% me mm-hmm. because sometimes clients will sometimes be like, well, but I don't want to do steps C, B, and D. Can right. we just jump to Z? And like, right. no, you, you can't do that. Right. It's not Good. possible. Absolutely. So I think we I were discussing agree. something like that, and this client yeah. was like, you remind me a lot of Doug Fletcher. He's mm-hmm. like that, too. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I'm probably not nearly as meticulous as you, and I think that's, that's an easy assumption to draw, you know, having heard each of us speak. But I would agree. there are There is right and wrong. There is an appropriate course of action. And look, when I used to work for the, a big consulting firm, um, before I went to work for OSHA, I worked for a bigger firm. And we would give a proposal to do work. I was an industrial hygienist, and people would want sampling done or something. I'd send them the proposal. You know, we can do this, this, and this, and it's going to cost you $10,000. And they would immediately come back and say, well, how much can I get for $2,000? You know, how much industrial hygiene can I get for $2,000? And I'm like, there is absolutely no point in me sampling (laughs) your guys welding for 12 minutes. You know, I mean, (laughs) what the hell are you asking for? And I, I totally agree with that. So. Yeah. And I understand uh, having a consultant come in is very expensive. It just is. Um, mm-hmm. But you can't jump from like, here's where we are. We have nothing. We want this 
super amazing, robust program that mm-hmm. this other company has. And depending on the size of the facility to actually build a functional, robust ergonomics program can legitimately take years. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and you're not going to get to it by not doing any of the work and steps in between right. like the job analyses and training and all that. Can, you just won't get there. Right. Um, Agreed. You can, I mean, you can build steps and that's fine, but you can't mm-hmm. skip all those steps. Right. Uh, so what was the question? Consulting. So somebody, you know, someone uh, wanted to be a consultant. I mean, you mentioned so, something when we talked earlier about um, the misconception, perhaps, that anybody can be a consultant. I mean. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I was kind of meant to do it because I'm a control freak. And mm-hmm. uh, I, like, going back to processes, I always see processes. And if there aren't processes, I start to develop them. And if sometimes that's very much appreciated. And sometimes it's not. So, um Looking back, I kind of feel like I was probably always meant to just like mm-hmm. go out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, Most definitely, yeah. But, uh, and I always kind of got pushed into management level positions like in a very short period of time, whether or not I wanted them, literally since I was a teenager. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably because my controlling perfectionist nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, when I first started my business, I, I was not active on Facebook, but I rejoined Facebook and I joined a bunch of business groups for healthcare providers because oh, nice. I'm a healthcare provider. I'm an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a business background. And my hope was that we could kind of share experiences and ideas, you know, the business mm-hmm. stuff that we don't really know. Yeah, the business side. That, yeah. Right. Um, I didn't really get a lot of that, but I did get a lot of interest from other people and uh, people who don't have experience in what I do and like how did you start this business? I've been wanting to do this for a long time too. Mm-hmm. And for therapists, a big thing that people want to do is office ergonomics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it seems more approachable because it is like we've already mentioned. Um, it's probably also harder sell. I, I would say, so too. Mm-hmm. um, I, would I, I did so. work for a big fortune 500 company. Um, and I was one of their, uh, on, on staff ergo folks. Um, so some of them do do it. I think, uh, they, I think they probably tend to prefer to have their own staff doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would get a lot of people reaching out to me and I still do. I'm still, I'm not very active on Facebook again because it really wasn't helpful. Um, but it seems like there were a lot of people who had no experience whatsoever in this wanting to become a consultant. Mm-hmm. And I don't, yeah. not to be a negative Nancy, but I don't really have any, I don't really have any advice for them because Literally, the only reason I have clients is because of my experience. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, my first client ever was someone who was my client when I was an employee of a company doing this. Um, And I've never done advertising. It's all been word of mouth. Um, I kind of came up with my own program, like the things that I do, I developed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that might sound super egotistical. I don't know, but I think think it would be really difficult to become a consultant with no actual practical experience. I would agree. And and I I would agree. The same is true for me. I, you know, the, the time that I spent with OSHA, um, I was, I was the consultant actually in the, uh, enforcement group, the compliance assistance specialist was a position created in the enforcement offices to provide consultation and, and, um, I was fortunate enough to do that job for 10 years in the Omaha area office. I absolutely loved it. It suited my temperament much more than enforcement did. And but, but when I got out on my own, having been the OSHA consultant, per se, for 10 years, it was a relatively easy transition. And then there is a certain amount of credibility that came with having worked for OSHA for all those years. And so 
I would agree too. I think, you know, people talk to me all the time about being a safety consultant because they, they were on the safety committee at their company for six (laughs) months and they want to be a safety consultant. And I'm like, well, absolutely go for it. But I do think there needs to be some certainly credibility and some basis in experience before that becomes really a viable option. Yeah. When I think back to my first job doing industrial therapy and I was hired as an employee of a company and I was working on site at an industrial facility. Uh, So I was on site at the facility, but my employer was someone else based, a corporation based out of a different state. And I had no coworkers or anything. And, and I was just kind of thrown in. I wasn't given any training. I wasn't given any support. And I was just like a deer in headlights. Luckily, Mm -hmm. the uh, client was supportive and they wanted me to be successful. So they were patient with me and they helped me. Um, I, I cannot even imagine trying to be out on my own right now. And having that be my experience, I mean, I wouldn't even know what to do. I would have no idea what would be beneficial. I wouldn't know how to start to build programs. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know what questions to ask. I just, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. But I think it's, (laughs) you know, I, I, and I think you're there. You've only been doing this for a few years on your own. Obviously you have done it for quite a long time professionally, but on your own. But I think, um, hopefully most consultants, at least, I guess I can only speak for myself and it appears uh, for you as well, but you reach a point where you um, are confident that um, given an opportunity, you can make a reasonable assessment of the needs of a company. You know, one of the things that I get, or at least have observed frequently, is companies will call and start asking for certain things. They don't really know what they need, and they, they're not quite sure what they're asking for, but it sounds good, and then... Um, you know, maybe you get have an opportunity to get in and look around a little bit and you can maybe redirect them. Well, here, in my opinion, this is probably what you need or, you know, this would be better suited to your needs. And, you know, rather than just throw stuff at them that they don't want or need, which I think is just, you know, unscrupulous, if not unethical or mm-hmm. unethical, 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 mm-hmm. I think. Um, my mother was an English professor, by the way. I don't know. If it's <laughs> obviously not, you know, telling, but... Um, but I like that, the, I, I think after having done this now for about seven years, um, having the confidence to tell people that you don't need that or this is really not what you need, I, I am glad that I've finally reached that point because in the beginning I was kind of just acquiescing to what they wanted because I needed business and I needed to get a foothold, you know, I needed to get started. And, um, you know, that's probably not great, you know, not the best approach. I like... I like to be in a position now where I can just say, look, all you really need to do is go to the Google and download this program and fill it out and maybe do this or that. You don't need this. I, you know, I appreciate being in that position. I I would agree. Um, Specifically what I do too, because it is so unique. There's other therapists who do similar things like, you know, go on site occasionally, Mm -hmm. but what I do is it's, it's very specific and Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know anyone else who does exactly what I do. Mm Um, I actually, I, I'm pretty upfront with people and explaining that, um, because, because unless I've worked for you before, you don't actually understand what I do. I Mm -hmm. promise you that you don't. Um, I mean, the stretch programs are pretty straightforward. Um, but other than that, I just, I don't think anyone understands Mm -hmm. what it is that I do in that, in that, that they shouldn't because they've never seen it before. So I'm sure they don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's nice to be in a position to be able to 
truly help somebody and help them figure out those things, help them figure out what they would benefit from those kind yeah. of things. And then, nice. and then you have clients who just want to just spend money for the sake of spending money. And I don't think that ever really ends up well. Yeah. I agree. Like I understand that I don't need it, but we want it anyways, mm-hmm. like, but you're not going to benefit from yeah, it. I know that is, that is interesting. <laughs> and it, you know, yeah, but I guess I've been in a position where I've had to tell people too, that's probably not what you need or you're, it's really not going to be as beneficial as you might believe it is or something like that. You know, I mean, I guess if they're just determined, bound and determined, okay, maybe I give in and, but, but typically it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, help them figure out what it is that would benefit the most. Yeah, I agree. That's cool. Yeah. All right. That was really interesting. I mean, we didn't have anything planned for no, this. No, we didn't. And that, was, that was really great. I, some fantastic information. I've got some notes for next time, too, uh, because some of the things that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about, I'd like to revisit at some point in the future. So, um, you know, I guess I'll be seeing you in another few months or so. But, yeah, sounds um, good. I, I knew you wouldn't let me down, Doug. I knew, we didn't have any topics planned, and I was like, we're not going to be for lack easy. of talking. Man, it, it, it fills an hour so quickly, though. I just... You know, I guess that's just a, a horrible comment on my just, you know, ability to ramble or just talk endlessly, whatever <laughs> that is. I think but, that's a good trait to have as a podcast Well, maybe host. as a podcaster, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, well, thanks for coming in. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me, Doug. Everything is going well, it sounds like. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. All right, guys. Um, it is Friday. Get out there. Have a great weekend. Um, you know, secluded in your homes, probably, but whatever that might entail. I, 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 we have been doing a few of those driveway parties. I don't know if you do that, Pat. You've been doing any of those, man, where you get together with your neighbors and sit in the driveway six feet apart. And... No, we don't know many of our neighbors. <laughs> oh, good for yeah, you. we're, we're new in the neighborhood, so we, yeah. We'll oh, you haven't up. been subjected to this yet? Not yet. Oh, uh-huh. this was my wife's idea. We get together with some of our neighbors and we set up our little folding, lo- our little lawn chair, our little bag chair. We make our drink and we sit there in six foot you know spacings around the driveway and that's not that's not a bad idea our neighbors uh, every single one of them around us are probably in their late 70s so my age yeah so about yeah so about (laughs) like you so it'd be like you and me hanging that's how our neighborhood is too yeah we're pretty young old people Mm -hmm. to not a lot of partying but that that means you're financially well established if you move into the (laughs) geezer neighborhood (laughs) right right that's nice (laughs) well everybody have a great weekend and i look forward to talking to you next week uh The best is yet to come, and we'll talk to you soon. A Parkville Media Production.